Hello, and welcome to a special holiday edition of Justice Society Presents. This is our anthology podcast featuring a variety of shows and hosts celebrating some of our favorite comics and characters associated with the golden age of comics, Earth 2, the JSA, and beyond. I'm one of your hosts today, the Irredeemable Shag, and along with me today is our own back cousin, the ho ho hoiest member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network, Mr. <laughs> Paul Keehan. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me to the uh, Brownstone. I love the Christmas decorations. The place looks great. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, uh, Jay took care of it, so it, we were all going to help uh, with the decorations, and then Jay said, oh, let's start, and then it was over. So uh, that's how <laughs> it happened. But he still had to do it all. You know, he, did he, he didn't complain about that. That's good. Okay. That's true. That's true. Well, if he did, he did a super speed. We didn't hear it. It just sounded like chirping. So anyway. <laughs> yes, folks, you can tell this is a holiday episode, and it's going to be in the spirit of the 1978 Star Wars holiday special. That's the level of humor Paul and I are capable of delivering, folks. It's about that. <laughs> so we are covering JSA number 55 uh, from 2003. This is the Christmas issue from the Jeff Johns run. So much fun. Uh, so did you read this thing when it came out of the gate, or did you read it uh, later? I did. I bought every issue off the stands. Me too. And it was shocking to me, because uh, I think about this cover, and we'll get to the details, but I think about this cover a lot, and because uh, I just love it so much. And when I went l- digging it up to look at it, I was like, oh, this is great from 2003. This th- this is 20 years old? <laughs> what? I mean, if someone asked me just out of the blue how old this issue was, I would have guessed, I don't know, about 10 years ago, you know, probably at most. I cannot believe There are kids halfway done with college that were not alive when this comic book came out. That is yeah. insane. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, folks, it, as we've been saying for the last few episodes, we are ramping up our JSA coverage here because we are starting to kick off uh, in next summer a monthly episodes of JSA Presents going forward. I'm going to be covering, I'll talk more about it at the end, but I've got lots of plans to cover. In fact, we're going to be covering this issue kind of again uh, at some point in a couple of years on, on this show, but it'll, we'll do it a different way, a whole different direction from it. Also exciting news, there are a ton of JSA-related comic books on the shelves right now. So you, I know, isn't that crazy? You get the ongoing Justice Society of America series, uh, which is comes out every occasionally three months, maybe <laughs> it seems like. <laughs> then there is the uh, the series, the mini series, uh, Wesley Dodd, the Sandman, Alan Scott, the Green Lantern, and Jay Garrick, the Flash. So that is, I know I will be upfront and say I haven't read those yet. I've been reading Justice Society. I have not read those three yet. I'm waiting for a whole bunch of them to get banked up on my DC Infinite, yeah. you know, that I subscribe to, and then I'm going to dive into them. I read the first issue of each of them on. DC, uh, you infinite, um, and now I'm going to wait till they're over to read the whole story. Any particular ones jump out as your favorite so far? Um, the Sandman. Really? Okay. Yeah, I, I mean, I was a big fan of Sandman Mystery Theater, so that one, although the art was very different, it's got Riley Rossmo art, which I'm still not sure if I like, but, you know, it's in that spirit, it's in that vein. Cool. I'm excited to read the Jay Garrick one. Yeah, story. and that one's great. That the one's boom? More, yeah. yeah, that's more the same. That's, that's, that one's great, too, but they're very different. So, let me ask you, Paul, how did you find the JSA first? Like, what made you fall in love with them? Well, you know, Shag, I've been reading comics for a long time, much longer than that 20 years. <laughs> I, I was around for the original sets of JLA, JSA team-ups in the satellite era. Okay. I loved, loved all those. And I picked up All-Star Comics when it restarted in the mm-hmm. 70s, uh, including, you know, that first issue with Power Girl and uh, the grown-up Robin and Star Spangled Kid. And one of my favorite comic books of all time was the 1977 DC special number 29. Oh, I, even yeah. have, I even have my copy signed by Paul Levitz and Joe Staten. Oh, um, wow. I read all the All-Star Squadron in the 80s, even 
even I bought all the young all stars, although I haven't reread any of those because they were only, they were only okay. And then post- everybody bags on young all stars. They they weren't terrible. They were just only okay. I think I was getting tired of the Roy Thomas uh, overwriting at that point. He he got really deep in the literature stuff after a while too. But the like you're bringing Frankenstein into it and all that. But I would say like the first six issues of Young All Stars are fantastic. They're and Brian Murray artwork too. They're so good. But anyway, sorry I interrupt you. Go ahead. No, yeah, I, I agree with that. So then post crisis, this you know series we're talking about today, JSA was uh, really one of my favorite books when it was coming out with Jeff Johns writing it. Uh, I loved his take on the the legacy aspect and bringing new heroes into the fold. Uh, you know, I'm really looking forward to your coverage. Uh, you know, and and all that. Uh, I even enjoyed the new 52 Earth Two series. You know, it wasn't my JSA, but it was you know it was a decent storyline and an intriguing way to sort of reboot those characters. So uh, and then that latest JSA series you're talking about, jury's still a little out on me. I'm not loving the fact the sort of future Huntress going back in time, and you know he's trying to up it. I think by instead of recruiting legacy, he's recruiting villains to turn them into heroes. So I, I'm still trying to decide how much I like that one. But it's you know I'm reading it. So, so to touch on a lot of those points, I'm glad you mentioned the 70s All-Star comics. Like, I dug those so much. Now, I didn't get yeah. them first run. I got them like mm-hmm. through a 50 cent bin and just yeah. pulled them out. I, like every issue, like boom, 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 fell in love with That's the first time I'd read the JSA as like an ongoing thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I immediately fell in love with that. And when I first got on, I think it was AOL, you know, and they had those DC <laughs> message boards and all that you could do and all that. Uh, my handle was Super Squad. And like, <laughs> and, but like nobody knew what that was. Nobody remembered it at that time because it was just like forgotten. Anyway, so I loved that and got all into the All-Star Squadron, right, and the Young All-Stars. And I, I'm that guy that loved the Young All-Stars, even though I acknowledge it was rough going towards the end, for sure. Yeah. Um, and this JSA series that we're talking about here, you know, like a, Jeff Johns did like, I don't know, about 80 issues. I mean, he didn't start the book. He came in after like, I don't know, like five issues or something. But that, mm-hmm. that 80 issues, that was, as far as I'm concerned, the best superhero team book of that decade, of, of the aughts. I think so. It was consistently fantastic. And it, while it was about legacy, they didn't waste a lot of time looking back all the time. They were going forward, creating new characters, creating new ideas. It was just really, really well built you get like two issue story arcs and one issue story arc and six issue story and just mixtures all the time it was fantastic yeah. not not so much with the second volume but this that's this 80 page or 80 issue volume or whatever was just great mm-hmm. i'm on board yeah and the new jsa series i am right there with you like i i'm a helena bertinelli uh mm-hmm. huntress fan not necessarily mm-hmm. a helena wayne fan so i wasn't too excited that we were getting helena wayne back and then, yeah, it's it's been a bit of a hot mess. Um, but issue six was fun with the the young JSA. So uh, I have I have hope. And the Star Girl series was fun. I do acknowledge yeah. that was a key series. I liked that. So I have hope that we're going to put the snow globe behind us and just start telling <laughs> some fun JSA stories. <laughs> All right. Well, before we get too much further, we do need to take a second to thank our sponsors, folks. This episode of Justice Society Presents is sponsored in part by InStockTrades.com. InStockTrades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collectations, all for up to 42% off with free shipping on orders of $50 or more. Now, as we said, we're covering a holiday-themed issue of JSA. If you're listening to this on the day of release, Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Eve. So, uh, pretty exciting. So, I leaned in on a holiday thing and picked Batman Lil Gotham Calendar Days. And this collects the first six issues of Little Batman Little Gotham, and each issue is a different holiday. Like, there's a Christmas issue, there's a Halloween, a Thanksgiving, a New Year, Cinco de Mayo, and Mother's Day, all this stuff. And uh, it is such an adorable series. It's... 
I don't even know how to yeah. describe it because they're not little kids. They're they're drawn kind of like little kids, but they're still adults. It's just an adorable mm-hmm. art style with a lot of leanings of kid-friendly stuff. And it, it's just cute. So it's written by, uh, I'm going to get these names horribly wrong, uh, written by Derek uh, Freidolf and Dustin... Uh, Nguyen. I always say Gwen. Nguyen. Yeah, that one, uh, that one right there, what he said. Yeah. And he's also the artist. Dustin's also the artist. Uh, it's page counts 144 pages. It's full color. It's a soft cover. It's only $9.99 normally. And you can get it for 42% off. So it's only $5.79 for 144 pages. $5.79. That's like the issue of, that's like what one regular comic costs nowadays. Anyway, it collects all six issues of that and it's super fun. So I, I love it. So what'd you bring, buddy? So I went a little bit uh, off the board. This is something I read a few weeks ago digitally. I might have to splurge and get this book. It's the Walt Disney's Donald Duck hardcover volume four. It's called Christmas on Bear Mountain. Hmm. This has in it the first appearance of Uncle Scrooge. So uh, from the uh, solicitation, it talks about how he's such a fixture nowadays. But if you remember that Carl Barks was writing and drawing Donald Duck for like half a decade before he, he came up with Uncle Scrooge. And in his first appearance, when we see him, when Donald and the and the triplets go up and visit their miserly, Scroogey Uncle Scrooge at his Bear Mountain second vacation home. And Scrooge goes in a bear skin and there's real bears and there's a whole bunch. And then it became like an annual thing of uh, them visiting Uncle Scrooge up on Bear Mountain. And I had never read these stories and they're a lot of fun. There's some of uh, Carl Bark's funniest holiday stories and uh, it's terrific. So this book is 240 pages. It's a hardcover for $35 and in stock trades price is $24.50. You save 30%. And so uh, I heavily, I have read it. It was a lot of fun and it's great Christmas stories. That's awesome. That's a great, great pick. And folks, for these and all your trade paperback needs, whether they be holiday-themed or not, please visit our sponsor, InStockTrades.com. Now, this episode is also sponsored in part with your Patreon support, because running the Fire and Water Podcast Network with so many shows, you know, it requires a lot of online hosting and other services. A while back, we realized we needed some help with the expenses, so we launched the Patreon, and you folks really stepped up to help us keep the network going. So if you're enjoying shows like Justice Society Presents, the best way to support the show is by visiting our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash fwpodcast. And while you're there, please consider supporting the Fire and Water Podcast Network. And in certain tiers, you get mentioned on your show of choice, just like these folks who asked to be mentioned on Justice Society presents. Our thanks to Alex Osias, David Ace Gutierrez, Gord Tolton, Jason Keane, Jay Campbell, Keechi Baker, Michael Bailey, and Ted Kilvington. Again, visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. All right, Paul, so you excited to get into this? Absolutely. Let's go for it. Well, I'll tell you what. How about we take a podcast promo break oh, first? Oh, you psyched me all up, and then you pull the rug <laughs> out from under. Well, they got to know where to find Batman Family Reunion. All right. Well, that for that reason, I'll let you. We'll, we'll, we'll see you later, listeners, after this quick promotional break. Hey, Sean. Did you know that Batman Family Reunion is expanding? Oh my god, what? Our episodes are not going to be three hours long? No, no, no. Now that we have moved into Detective Comics, we are going to see stories starring other members of the, let's say, extended Batman family, like the human target. He's a detective. The demon. He's been in Batman Family before. Elongated man. He's a detective. Red Tornado. He's been in Batman Family before. Black Lightning. Ooh, he's cool. And the Atom. He's small. (laughs) I'm excited by the upcoming artists. Not only are we still going to see my favorite, Michael Glorious Golden, but we will see art by Don Newton, Dick Giordano, Irv Novick, Jose Delvo, 
Johnny Craig, and even Steve Ditko and Dan Spiegel. Awesome, but we won't forget the original stars. We'll see Robin return to the big top and Babs discover a family secret. Man Bat teams up with Jason Bard, Batman teams up with Batgirl, and we will finally get an all-new Alfred story. We will see villains like Maxie Zeus, the Riddler, the Crime Doctor, and the Truckers. But Paul, you know people say that the best part about the reunion is getting to interact with our Bat cousins. I personally think it's all of the food, but I understand their point of view. We are continuing our guest list, including some repeat visits, but also some new Bat relatives. We love that our show has become a real family reunion, and we can't wait for you to hear what we have planned. That's the Batman Family Reunion on all of your podcast apps, only on the Fire and Water Podcast Network. Just imagine the mightiest heroes of our time. All of them on one team. Since there are so many of us, we have a chance to do more than just put out fires. We can be proactive. We can do some real good in the world. JLUcast brings you coverage of Justice League Unlimited, the ultimate gathering of DC's heroes and villains, and the culmination of the greatest interpretation of the DC Universe ever. Join Chris and Cindy Franklin as they relive the team-ups, the battles, the conspiracies. I had no idea that the Girl Scouts were responsible for the crop circle phenomenon. Few people do. Few even think to ask the question. The romance and the fun. A head start. You're getting soft in your old age. Don't you have a tall building to go leave? And the adventure continues. Find us wherever fine fire and water podcasts are available. All right, folks, this is JSA number 55, On the Shelves, December 10th, 2003. Good Lord, 20 years ago. It's just it's just not possible, <laughs> Paul. How is that? Well, you know, because it's half the cost of a comic now is only 250 That's true. It is true. <laughs> Cover is by uh, Carlos Pacheco and Jesus Marino. It is yeah. absolutely stunning. You want to tell us about it? Yeah, it's great cover by those guys. It's, it's really cute. It's got this uh, JSA logo at the top with white background and you've got Santa Claus sitting on a bench and uh, he's a little put upon because sitting on his lap is Wildcat who has a big <laughs> list of things that he's asking Santa for and all the little kids he's pushing back all the little kids who want to get on Santa's lap you've got Alan Scott in a in a Santa hat looking over kind of folding his arms saying come on Ted we got better things to do and one little girl in the in the thing says wow Catwoman needs a shave <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very cute cover you know this is going to be a holiday issue, and uh, it's it's terrific. Oh, it's absolutely hysterical, and uh, that, that that little kid's line is just yeah. the button on the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> it would have worked without it, but it, it it makes it that much better to have that little line in there. Yeah, and I'm a sucker for a word balloon on a comic anyway. But mm-hmm. so it's themed as a Norman Rockwell kind of cover. It's designed specifically that way. Uh, if you ever look at the old Saturday Evening Post covers, uh, they actually have like a, a a round feature at the top. Like a circular sort of feature, they've got that here as well. Oh, you know, I, I missed that. That's right. <laughs> yep. Santa, Santa looks very, you know, Norman Rockwell esque kind of thing. It's supposed to be, you know, a slice of life kind of thing. And there was always Christmas. I'm a big Norman Rockwell fan. I have more art books on Norman Rockwell than I can count. Uh, they're just all over the place. I've been to a couple exhibits. I mean, it's just I'm a, I'm a big fan. Is I'm not professing to be the biggest fan, but I just I'm a big lover of his work. So I immediately recognize all the tropes right there. And this is one 
one month after they did the Norman Rockwell Thanksgiving cover for JSA mm-hmm. as well. So clearly they were kind of on a roll there. Yeah, I mean, you, this, I love that Wildcat has three pages of things <laughs> that he's asking for. <laughs> and the, and I, Jay, I'm wondering, is Jay supposed to be there with Ted? Uh, I mean, obviously he's disapproving. Yes, as you mentioned. I think he's more disapproving when, instead of saying we got better things to do. And we're like, hey, get, get out of The kid's got to go. Yeah. You know, it's the kid's turn. But anyway, I, he's got a hat on. So I'm wondering, is it is he supposed to be like Santa's helper? Or is he just there like in the spirit of things? I don't know. But it cracked me up. And uh, it, it's just a gorgeous car. It's one of my favorites from the entire JSA series. And that's actually what inspired me to do this episode. I was just thinking about Christmas and Christmas comics. And I remember this cover. And boom, it all came together. Uh, Christmas Eve. It's just perfect. There you go. All right. Well, why don't we get inside? Let's do it. So the issue itself is called Be Good for Goodness Sake. Writer is Jeff Johns. Penciler is Leonard Kirk. Inkers are Keith Champagne and Wade Vaughn Grawbadger. Letter is Jared K. Fletcher. Colorist is Brian Miller. And editor is Peter J. Tomasi. So I'll do the recap here. So uh, it's Christmas Eve and the JSA members, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and Wildcat, they are flying through the air on an emerald construct sleigh. And they're sipping eggnog and joking as they travel to Londonbury, New Hampshire. Now, near their intended destination before they get there, we've come across a woman and her children who are having car trouble. Luckily for her, a good Samaritan just happens to be passing by, and it's Santa Claus? Turns out this department store Santa helps the family, uh, which unfortunately makes Santa late to Duggan's department store for their shift, which annoys the store manager. An assistant reminds the manager that the store has a firm policy on using this same person to place Santa every year, and it's been that same person for the past 50 years. Santa finally arrives to the cheers of the children waiting in line. Suddenly, a group of robbers appear, threatening everyone. And once the alarm rings out, the robbers prepare to take the children hostage. The department store Santa stands between the robbers and the children, declaring, I don't think so. One of the thugs pulls a gun. However, before he can do anything else, the robbers are battered away by glowing emerald reindeers. The department store Santa thinks they got here early this year. What a nice surprise. (laughs) The JSA have arrived and make short work of the robbers. The department store Santa leaps into the fray, taking out the final thug. And in the scuffle, Santa's hat and beard fall away, revealing the golden-aged red tornado, Ma Hunkle. So later, we join our heroes at Mohunkel's house for cookies and coffee. Now, the house has lots of Golden Age paraphernalia, like framed JSA photos, and even Mohunkel's old red tornado helmet as the planter (laughs) for the Christmas tree. They reminisce, and while the JSA members then discuss their own Christmas plans... Green Lantern Alan Scott has a a newfound appreciation for Christmas with his family now that he's no longer working every holiday for the radio station. Flash Jay Garrick feels impulse, Bart Allen, has become like a son to him. Wildcat Ted Grant, he's opening up his gym to the public to help feed the homeless. While Hawkman Carter Hall plans to be alone, as Hawkgirl is making a life for herself without him. Ma Hunkle suggests Carter could help out Wildcat at the gym, at which Carter smiles and considers. Finally, Ma Hunkle asks Jay about her own children. Turns out she's been in witness protection for the past 50 years as she testified against a mafia group. To protect her family, the feds faked her death, and she's been in Londonbury ever since, unknown even to her children. Well, the JSA have the best possible Christmas present for Ma Hunkle. The last living relative of that mafia family has just passed away, and it is safe for Ma Hunkle to come home. And our heroes ask Ma Hunkle to be the museum curator for the Justice Society of America. 
That is me laughing to cover the fact that I'm getting choked up. Uh, later at the museum, Ma Hunkel tends to the needs of several of her new friends, helping Stargirl find her misplaced cosmic belt, asking about Dr. Midnight's head cold, and making tea for Power Girl after a long day. And we see among the statues of former JSA members the addition of the Golden Age Red Tornado in a place of honor. The end. Oof. <laughs> so, Paul, I, I, I'm not kidding. I got choked up. The, the, this story gets to me very emotionally. So what did you think of it, buddy? Oh, I enjoyed it. I hadn't read this for many years, maybe close to 20, uh, and uh, <laughs> really, really enjoyed it. One of the things, that be, before we get into the mo- you know, the best part is a very lovely uh, holiday story, but I forgot how much I enjoyed Leonard Kirk's art. Yeah. Uh, you know, he had a really good sense of differentiating older and younger people, which was very mm. important for a series like this i just i just thought it was terrific you know there's you know there's sort of regular fisticuff type action in this not a lot of real superhero type action so but he had good action i just i'd forgotten how much i enjoyed his artwork and i don't know what happened to him <laughs> but uh this was great so i enjoyed that he's got a, he's got a really good sense of panel design too yeah he yeah. knows when he knows when to break borders he knows when to you know keep it tight and would when to open up a splash page throw backgrounds i mean he's really really a, a fantastic artist Good storyteller. It was, was very, very enjoyable. So overall, terrific. How about you? I'm right there with you. I just, I absolutely, I hadn't read it in many, many years either, and just absolutely love this issue. I find it hard to believe that Mal Hunkel hadn't appeared in a comic in 50 years. Like, I don't know if, if anyone bothered to do the research on that and check, but that blows my mind if she really didn't. Just given that everyone knows who she is. I mean, she's hysterical with that giant pot on her head, right? Yeah. Well, actually, if you don't know, folks, it, it's a it's a cooking pot that somehow she cut eye holes out of and wore it on her head. I mean, it was crazy. It looked like a Forbush man running around. <laughs> yeah. It just gets me right in, I don't know, all the feels when they invite her back to be the curator because it, and what a great addition to the JSA book, having her there all the time. I mean, I mean, it was usually a minor role. It wasn't like she had a big part, but just having her there, it made it feel like a family. I mean, she she's lost her children, you know, because she couldn't raise them. And now she's sort of raising the whole JSA as a mother to all of them. And it's just yeah. And, and that's, I mean, in the in the 40s, that's why she became a superhero, was to take care of her kids. Yeah, no, I mean, a great, brilliant idea by Jeff Johns to do that. And just really was part of the whole mix of characters. And, uh, you know, she's like den mother to everybody. Yeah. So let's, let's look at the beginning here. So the whole idea, they're riding in a sleigh that, you know, Alan <laughs> Scott has created. I love the fact that Jay has a thermos of warm eggnog. You know, of course, Jay's prepared. It's just, he's, he's kind of like your grandpa that, you know, is always going to make sure he has everything for the trip before he gets in the car, you know, or whatever. Yeah. And yeah, I love yeah. that. I love this. Uh, you know, this is the kind of stuff that was really good. This is four old friends, right? They've known each other for 50 plus years, 60 yeah. years. You know, they are hanging out that you got Ted's teasing Hawkman. You know, I just love everything about this sequence. You know, Alan warms it up for them when they're getting cold and just overall great sequence. I like how Wildcat, he's he's remembering that uh, Alan and Jay are kind of sticks in the mud. And, <laughs> and he says, terrible. and he says, Al Pratt was the Adam and Drex Tyler, our band, like they were the life of the party, apparently, back in the day. <laughs> and he, this line cracked me up. He says, uh, Corrigan and Nelson, which means the Spectre and Dr. Fate, Corrigan and Nelson look like Cheech and Chong next to these wet blankets. <laughs> it's just, just, how hysterical is that, you know? Yeah. No, Wildcat always had the great lines in this, yeah. in this series. He really did. Uh, and, and 
he's he's treated as the you know the funny uncle who's always doing the wacky, and that's why the cover works so well too. By the way, is yep. Wildcat is the is the funny uncle doing the crazy hijinks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we get to the department store, and um, I, you know, and and I just think it's funny that the manager is kind of the Grinch mm-hmm. of the story, <laughs> and uh, but but he's got a good sense. I really liked how he was like Grinch, a bit unlikable, but he was like, hey, you're not hurting anybody. Take what you want and get out of here. So he you could tell he's got a good heart. Yeah. You know, at the whole at the whole part of it. So I, I like that sequence. And then and then my uncle's like, no, you're, you're you're not messing around with these kids. Oh, that moment, yeah. When she, when she puts her when she puts herself between the kids and the robbers was just perfect. That was great. I just I was just like the hero moment. I don't think so. Yeah. And then the what great misdirection. You know, we just assume that the person playing Santa is a man, mm-hmm. right? Like you you don't for any second think that it's a, a woman. And the, it was all right there though. Like the car, mm-hmm. it's a red car. And and the license plate says twist dash R twister. Oh, like red. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, yeah it, it's a red car, and it says Twister. It's like it was right there in front of us. You know, <laughs> they say that they've been the same Santa for fifty years, so she's been there the entire time. Yep. Uh, I, I like some of the caption boxes where she's kind of describing her feelings on things. She's you know yeah. how she doesn't have a lot of things in life that makes her happy anymore, and this is the one day of the year she looks forward to. Yeah, yeah, it's nice. Well, you know, I don't remember whether I was surprised. Unfortunately, I you know now I, I mean I knew that this was her. Right. You know. T- you know, when I was reading that now, I don't remember if I was surprised, but it's, you know, it's a good reveal, you know, it's a, it's well executed, you know, cause you see her, you know, she in a sort of heroic moment. So I really did mm-hmm. like that. Well, Jeff, uh, I've heard many interviews, uh, and he even saw myself talking about this. He is, or at least was, I don't know nowadays, but he was the master of making you turn the page. Like, he mm. knew how to design mm. a story and say, this happens in the final panel of this page, and he knows how to do left page, right page, so that the the moment on the right-hand page, the last panel, makes you go, well, I gotta know what happens next. And mm-hmm. here you get, the beard gets cut, and you're like, I gotta flip the page. Something, something big has happened here and that's when you get the you have to flip the page to get the reveal of Mal Hunkel which is f- absolutely fantastic. Well, I'm I, looking at the actual comic and I mm-hmm. Oh, am I completely wrong? No, 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 but I'm looking at the actual comic yeah. and there's this big insert in here, a uh, plastic insert of kinetic. Oh gosh. <laughs> it really it really interrupts the page because you have to flip by that to get to trying to hit a lady panel whereas if this was just the centerfold of the book you would you would see it. So it's an interesting Interesting. Oh, so so I'm wrong. It wasn't the left-facing page. It was going to be the right-facing page, but the insert made it work. Exactly. The insert okay. made it work. <laughs> I, I will still take the win then. Because, <laughs> I mean, unfortunately, that is one thing with the writers that he he did talk about in the same thing. is like you, you lay it out this way so that you always leave them on a, a cliffhanger almost to make them turn the page. But sometimes they'll throw an ad in there and throw all the pagination off. So yep. you get you get what you get. So yep. I'm going to assume that's what happened here. But yeah. <laughs> I love that she gets to deck the final thug, too. Like, you know, that's she... Good. Gets to take out the last one, yeah. and her immediate line, you know, after uh, after all that fuss, you boys must be hungry. I mean, that's a, <laughs> it's her immediate move. Not let let all the kids sit on my lap. She yeah. wants to take care of the JSA, and they and, and it's nice too that they reveal they visit every single year. You know, yeah, I love that. I love that. I love yeah. that. The next page, though, Shag, I think is my favorite page. 
it's a page at the top where you've got just her house. Yeah. And inside you've got her decorations above her mantle with one, just one single stocking hanging and the Christmas tree inside her pot. The, and I, that's just, I'd forgotten about that. That is fantastic. And then you've got Jay and Alan looking at old pictures on the wall that she's got all these JSA pictures on the wall and she's coming out. She's got a red tornado apron on yep. and got, got tea and cookies with a huge smile. She's so happy to see the guys. I just, this is just a joyous page. So this is actually the page I was referring to when we were talking about Leonard Kirk. And I was saying all the stuff about his panel design. Mm-hmm. Because check this out. So the top is a panel. It's panelless. All right. Mm-hmm. So it's just mm-hmm. open page. And he's got mm-hmm. a beautiful house with snow. And he uses that snowscape to border the rest of the page mm-hmm. in between the panels. Then you get a regular panel. Then you get the Christmas tree panel. But the Christmas star is breaking out of the panel. You know, mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's blowing out of that. Then the last panel, it's open again, except to use the door frame like a panel. Yeah. So, I mean, it's yeah. really cleverly Very done. Clever. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot of design that went mm-hmm. into such a simple page. But yeah, it's also got the super idyllic Christmas wonderland. You know, you've got mm-hmm. the snowed in house with the fire going and you've got the fireplace with one single stocking. And yeah, it's, it's, and you can see she's obviously had a husband. I mean, it shows her a, a picture of her and her husband on the mantle. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it's no, really I, I nice. Love it. I thought this was a, a, a terrific page. Yeah, it really is. And then uh, I, I love they, they talk about this, how, how she's like trying to downplay her contribution, you know, she's like, well, I didn't have any powers. I can't lift a car or whatever she said there. And, you know, and, and Alan just goes, you did just fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just it was, it was nice for them to give some affirmation to her. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we also get like a sepia tone panel showing her in action, mm-hmm. you know, punching out a guy, which looks great as well. Yeah, it looks great. I love the guy. He's got a crowbar and he's missing teeth and he's yeah. got suspenders. He looks like he's a, a gangster right out of the 40s. You oh, know? yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's stars where she's punched him. I mean, it, it looks like a perfect Golden Age panel. Yeah, it's great. And the, the comfort level she has with these guys, because again, she's known for 50 years, right? But where she's bringing the cookies in, she's setting them down, and Wildcat's got his feet on the coffee table. And she's just, she's like, da, 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 da. my husband used to cook, feet off the table, Teddy. Like, <laughs> not Wildcat, not Ted, Teddy. I've never heard anyone call him Teddy. Feet off the table, Teddy. You know, it's like, it's the perfect mom moment. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then it's really nice about the section. You did a good job in the synopsis talking about how they were talking about all their plans. And, it, you know, it was teasing, you know, Alan and, and uh, Jay didn't know that that Wildcat, you know, did this at the gym. You know, I could see by their surprised faces. And then she's like, hey, you know, Carter, why don't you help him out? And I just thought that was really sweet. Yeah, it was. And it, Carter just, all he, his response was just maybe. Thanks, Ted. But he's got the slightest hint of a smile. Yeah, and, yeah and that's just nice. And going back to the art here, specifically these pages, because Leonard Kirk really does something interesting here. Like when Jay is talking about Christmas, right? And he's talking about how he worked and he worked and he worked at the at the station and he, he mm-hmm. worked on Christmas Day. Mm-hmm. The moment he starts talking about his family, he takes his mask off, mm-hmm. which I think is the artist doing that on purpose, saying, you know, here he's taking off the mask of the guy who works and it's about what's really what's really there, which is his family, which is what he really cares about. And mm-hmm. that's the real Alan. And mm-hmm. I think that's on purpose. And then they use Fu 
feud with the other guys to kind of just give them something. Like uh, George Perez used to talk about, always give your character something to do with their hands. Mm-hmm. And here you've got Jay eating a gingerbread guy, right? He's just <laughs> you know, he's bleeding. jumped off the head. <laughs> yep, exactly. Well, everyone does that first, right? I mean, we all do. You know, Wildcat's sucking on a, on a candy cane, and later he chomps it in half when uh, he gets shocked, you know? And <laughs> then, the, then the body language for Carter, there's nothing going on with his hands, but you don't see his face for a long time. It's just his face facing, or sorry, his back as he faces the window. The body language tells you everything you need to know. I, I, again, I don't, I don't mean to keep waxing this guy's car, but, you know, it's really incredibly well put together. Mm-hmm. That's great. I, I think this is a, I'm, I'm sure this is a Jeff Johns retcon about her family. I, I that was tragic. I didn't, I did not remember that from reading it before that she gave up her life with her family. You know, that's just, that's just tragic. That has to be a retcon. Absolutely yeah. has to be. Um, now, she did have some kids. Yeah. So th- so there's three kids there. Clearly, Jeff invented the backstory of the witness protection program pretty much just to explain why she hadn't been around. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and of course, I love how they fill her in on her kids because she did have kids. In, I mean, it was you always used to see Ma Hunkle and these little kids running around with her. So I love that, too. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, though, th- when they invite her to be the curator at the museum, it just... Again, that's what gets me. I like I, I just love the idea of her taking care of everyone, you know? Her with Star Girl, her with Piotr, you know, a Doctor Midnight, her with Power Girl, the these mm-hmm. characters that are all kind of the next generation, right? Mm-hmm. And she's helping the next generation with all everything they're doing. Like she she knows where Star Girl misplaced her, her cosmic belt and all this stuff and um <laughs> I don't even remember Stargirl using that that wand, by the way. That's like yeah. an interim staff or something. I think that was before Jack Knight gave her the, the staff, right? Because his series was probably still going on at this time. There was, there was, uh, you know, I can't remember. I there thought was, it was at the end of that when he gave her the staff so, and he retired. Yeah, uh, and you're probably that's right. When she, and that, that's when she started to get the staff. I, I could have the timing wrong on that, but I think that's what happened there. I think you're right. I think you're right. Uh, and, and just you know, Power Girls in it. You get the cat from my beloved Justice League Europe as well. So, uh, but yeah, Ma Hunkle being there, like I want that. I, I want to live in this era of the JSA forever. This yeah. this is my JSA, and it makes brings me with so much joy. Mm-hmm. It's nice to come home, is what she thinks. She's she's with people who love her. Yeah, who she can contribute by helping, taking care of them, especially the, the newer, the younger kids, and just hits you in the feels all around. Great yep. story. And you get the, the, the her costume on display in the yeah. museum, back-to-back with the specter of all people. <laughs> because, I mean, some people don't remember this if they never read it, but she was in All-Star Comics number three, the very first appearance of the JSA. She's in there. She uh, she shows up as if to join the meeting, climbs through the window. I think she tears her pants or something and leaves. <laughs> yeah, something like that. She's like, she's like the, you know, she's the comic relief. But she was there for a few minutes in that mm-hmm. first issue of the JSA. So she, she definitely fits in the family. It's so. absolutely. Uh, great stuff well i that's that's everything i've got to say about the book i just i just love it top to bottom it's a perfect christmas read i think i i've read it several times getting ready for this podcast i think i've teared up three times because i'm just a complete (laughs) softy uh and i don't care i'm happy to have uh gotten uh, emotional That's great. No, it's, it's terrific. I loved it. Uh, it. Like I said, I haven't read it probably since it came out, and I just really enjoyed you know pulling it out and reading it. Uh, yeah. So thanks for that opportunity. Well, what we're going to do now, folks, is just uh, we're going to have a little bit of fun. Paul and I are going to talk some specific Christmas stuff about our lives, some some Christmas traditions in our family, and then uh, to round it up at the end, we're going to mention some of our favorite Christmas comics besides this one. So, Paul, you want to start us off with some of your uh, family Christmas traditions? Sure, absolutely. Uh, you know, our biggest tradition. 
as a family is decorating Christmas sugar cookies. So many <laughs> years ago, when the kids were little, started out, you know, decorating them as trees and wreaths and things like that. But now we try to, you know, outdo each other by making various Christmas shapes into other items. And mine are generally superhero related. And I choose a different group or something or theme every year. I've, I've done the Satellite Justice League. I've done the JLI. I've done the Avengers and the Teen Titans. And of course, the Batman family. You know, the kids have done Zelda and Avatar and Pokemon and various other video games characters so we've done disney characters so we do all kinds of stuff and actually is the time we're recording this our family date for doing this is tomorrow night so i don't know what the theme will be maybe i'll choose some jsa characters so. oh that would be amazing <laughs> i'll tell you paul like you had been listening to our shows for a while and i'd seen your name here or there but you doing the jli cookies yes. is kind of like put you on my radar that's like how i <laughs> got to know who paul was you, you, your you, show was the inspiration for that theme for me that year well i appreciate that because you would share them with me and then I'd retweet them and share them out or Facebook or whatever it was. And because uh, they were amazing. I mean, you really have a skill. Like when I decorate a cookie, it's like here's a red blur blah, and here's a blue blur. Blah, and I'm like, that's Superman. But you, yeah. it's like you look at it and you're like, oh, that, no, that's Cal L. I mean, that's yeah. who that is, you know. So I'm impressed. You guys are re- must have really impressive piping bags or something. Well, no, know. we're just using like toothpicks and, and brushes, like, uh, like little tiny art brushes and stuff. So you guys yeah, are amazing. No, amazing. What a great fun family tradition. Yeah. And you know, a couple other smaller things. You know, our Christmas tree obviously every year is very nerd friendly. We have lots of various you know ornaments of various characters and other items, Disney characters, all kinds of stuff. You know, for, for movies, I think my favorite Christmas well, favorite, I don't know, but my wife quote makes me watch It's a Wonderful Life every year. And you know, kind of like you have every year at the end, I cry like a baby. Uh, you know, I can't help myself, um, you know, at the end of that movie, but it's, it, it's, it's something that we do all the time. Z- Zuzu's pedals. I, um, <laughs> dude, I, I have a list of Christmas movies as well. And I cannot believe I didn't mention that one because I, because I don't watch it every year just because I don't have enough tissues in the house. Uh, because I, like you, I, it's probably one of my favorite movies of all time. Like I can't yeah. believe it came out what 1938 and it's that yeah. stinking good. Yeah, I love that movie so much. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And then um, from a comic book perspective, I have like a short box that I have specific Christmas comics in it and trades and stuff. I like to pull it out and I read at least some of them every year. So that's a, a little tradition I have with my, myself. And then my daughter, who's now 21, grown woman, mm-hmm. still loves to be surprised by the elf on the shelf and where he shows up. And <laughs> <laughs> but most of the time, I or he perches where uh, he can sort of gaze at her in kind of this creepy way that he does. Oh, my <laughs> so God. Oh, <laughs> uh, Elf on the Shelf! It's uh, that—that's actually what blew the the secret of Christmas at our house. That's that's oh, how no. that's how my daughter figured out it. You know, whatever she figured out, I don't want to say it on the air in case any seven year olds are listening. But absolutely. Um, Tell me about your tradition, Shaq. I've got just a few. So Christmas movies um, and ones we do watch every single year as a family. Uh, Christmas Story uh, every year, you know, with uh, you, know, mm-hmm. you shoot your eye out and everything. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I can't say count how many times I say Fragile. And we, we quote that movie nonstop. Christmas Vacation. I had never seen that movie until my wife made me watch it. It's now one of my favorite movies of all time. Again, we watch it every year. It's so damn funny and just mm-hmm. stupid. And oh, it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, Muppet Family Christmas. Is, so is that is that Muppet Christmas Carol or no something else? What, what is Muppet, the Muppet Family Christmas? What is that? It was on TV. 
And what it was is it's one of Jim Henson's last. It mm-hmm. is the uh, the Muppets are going away for Christmas. They're going to Fozzie's mom's house, okay. and uh, through a whole series of things that happen, the Muppets go there, the Fraggle Rock people go there, the Sesame Street gang go there. So it's all <laughs> of the various Muppet families. I have together. never seen. <laughs> well, I believe now someone could correct me here, and I've been corrected lots of times about lots of stuff, so I'll get used to it. But for a while, at least, maybe still, it wasn't available because the properties were. Owned by different people. Um. Like, it, once it all broke up, like someone else owned Fraggle Rock or whatever, they couldn't mm-hmm. distribute anymore. I found a copy myself. Um. And so that's what we watch every year. And there's a oh. scene at the end, and I've told the story on the air at some point in the last 20 years, so forgive me, people, but where everybody's having Christmas, all the Muppets are together. It's this massive room full of Muppets, all just in, in Fozzie's mom's house, and someone has to clean up. So in the kitchen is Jim Henson himself with Sprocket the dog doing the dishes. And every single time that scene comes on, I start bawling. You know, not like not like it's a wonderful life bawling, but just tears coming down my face. And my kids just they they watch me to see what happens during this scene because they know it's coming. So uh, it's it's really lovely. And then uh, the last one, of course, is uh, the ultimate Christmas movie, which is of course Die Hard. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, we have a, a family dinner tradition that goes uh, – interesting story. Like my, my, my dad comes from a huge family, uh, eight kids, eight kids. Wow. And it was the 1940s and money was tight. I mean, you got, first of all, it's the 1940s, right? You're just out of the depression, you know, the war and um, eight kids. I mean, they didn't have a lot of money. So they couldn't really afford a lot of extras with so many mouths to feed. Mm-hmm. And so what they would do is an occasional treat. His parents, um, which are my grandparents, they, they'd buy a can of fruit cocktail, which I guess was – uh, extravagant for them. Mm. I don't know. Mm. Uh, and they dish out a little bit to each kid and they'd add a splash of Manischewitz wine, which is like this really, really sweet dessert wine. Mm. And this was like a special treat for the family. So, you know, that was the forties, right? Fast forward to, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years ago. Uh, my dad decided to bring the tradition back. So here we sit, you know, 80 years later from wow. that. That's and great. for every major family holiday with my dad, we start the meal with a small bowl of fruit cocktail, with a splash of Manischewitz wine, to remind ourselves that, you know, our family wasn't always so fortunate and uh, to be thankful for what we have. And it's just kind of a a really nice, heartwarming thing. That's awesome. And then to transition to something silly, uh, last tradition I'll mention is uh, we have a a nativity scene in my house with these, you know, the the obvious figures that you would expect in a nativity scene about five five inches tall. Well, there is also very coincidentally the the same height as most action figures. (laughs) So in our household, there are many, many action figures that often visit the birth of Christ. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> um, right now, for example, there is a TARDIS in there, uh, as well as a couple of the doctors. There is a DeLorean. Um, there's Our Man, the robot android from a JSA, uh, Spider-Man 2099. So I really, I, I go for the theme of time travelers whenever I can until I start running <laughs> out of them. But I try and fill it full of time. Because, I mean, if you're a time traveler, you know, you're going to go, right? Absolutely. So, And if you ever try this, if you ever try this at home, uh, if you have this, uh, if you have ones about the same size or maybe smaller, pro tip. Uh, Jawas, Jawa action figures will not get noticed in a nativity scene for days. So, uh, so it's a good one to go with. That's good. That's great. It looked like little shepherds, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, they just people like don't even see it. So, uh, so why don't you cover? Uh, and we're not going to go in depth here, folks. We're just going to kind of name check, say a little bit about it. But yeah. why don't you cover some of your? Uh, or you know, why don't we go back and forth? Why don't you cover some of your favorite Christmas comics? So I have one comic that 
in my opinion, is is the best single comic for Christmas because of variety of contents that it has, which, you know, I started to make a list of some of my favorite stories and I realized that most of them were actually in this single comic book. And that comic book, of course, is Christmas with the Superheroes, number one from 1988. And everybody's seen the awesome John Byrne cover. It's got, you know, Superman looking at a, a present, but he can't see through it because there's lead on it. You've got, <laughs> you've got Robin holding up a, a pointy shoe that's wrapped and he's like what is that and it's obviously one of his pointy <laughs> shoes and it's and and black canary is giving green arrow a bow wrapped up in a bow it's just it's delightful cover and it's got all the stories in there all of which are great so it's got wanted santa claus dead or alive so that's from dc special series number 21 in 1979 it's the first batman by frank miller written by denny o'neill terrific story one of my favorites because it was one of the earliest issues of justice league i ever bought from justice league number 110 in 1974 this is the second appearance of john stewart when when hal jordan slips on the soap and hits his head right and then the ring has to go find john stewart <laughs> oh i still gosh. love that story okay it's it's, De- it's len ween dick dylan dick giordano classic i love it the another classic the teen titans swinging christmas carol from the 60s by bob haney and nick Hardy. so that is one groovy christmas story that is zany haney it's even in your zany. notes here <laughs> zany haney <laughs> yeah um my podcast partner sean's favorite story of all time starlight star bright furthest star i've seen a night by paul levitz and Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name. name, which is a classic Legion story. And it's also from that same DC special series, number 21. And then two more, the Twas the Fright Before Christmas from DC Comics Presents number 67 by Len Wein, Nelson Bridwell, and Kurt Swan, teaming Superman with Santa Claus, <laughs> which, you know, which was a terrifically fun story. And that's like the, 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 the weakest of the bunch. And then the final one is The Silent Night of the Batman from Batman number 219. Fabulous story. You know, Batman stays all night singing Christmas carols in the GCPD and no crime has been committed. It's got beautiful Neil Adams art and written. I, I had forgotten it was not written by Denny O'Neill. It was actually written by Mike Friedrich. Wow. So did, did they do a power record of that one? They like, probably did. I don't know. I, okay. I, I don't have it, but but it, it, they may have because it's just a classic story. And just all these all these things in one good size, giant size comic book is a, is a great, great package. And I, I love that comic book. I don't think there's many people in our age bracket that are going to argue that that about that issue not being the best of all time. I mean, it's <laughs> all of us love it, even if you just love the cover. I mean, you're familiar yeah. with it, you know. The cover's fantastic, yeah. and it's yeah, that's the an cover amazing. is currently the background screen of my computer for nice. this month. Yeah, nice. So well, that how is... about you? Give me one of yours. Sure. Uh, now, I, I I've been as I said, I've been podcasting like 20 years, so I know I've talked about these at various points. So if you've heard me before on like Michael Bailey's views from the Long Box or with Rob on various shows, I apologize, but. Uh, you know, first time it's been said here on Justice Society Presents, so here we go. Uh, Adventures of Superman number 462 from 1989 by Roger Stern and Dan Jurgens. It's uh, Homeless for the Holidays. I, I thought this was all a Dan Jurgens thing, but no, it's I forgot it was written by Roger Stern. The that idea, is choice. Oh, it's a great one. They find out that uh, Allie, or Alice, who li- works at the planet, she's been homeless for like two, three years. And, and the way they explain how she ended up losing her home, I mean, it's like so terrifyingly real and possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's like, yeah, I, I reread it in preparation for this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that could happen to me tomorrow. I mean, just anyone, if things all go your, go the wrong way at the same time. Yeah. And, um, and so she's living in 
in the storeroom at the planet. And by the end, uh, the Perry family invite her to live with them. It's very touching. Yeah, very sweet. So what do, what do you got? So in Christmas with the Superheroes number two, which is pretty good, um, not as many great stories, but we do get a very famous story uh, but written by Alan Brenner, which mm-hmm. so you know it's good. And it's called Should All the Acquaintance Be Forgot? Starring Dead Man. And Dead Man is gloomy on Christmas, but is cheered up by a stranger. I won't give away who it is if you haven't read it. <laughs> but it is a fabulous story. It came out not that long after Crisis. And it's um, also reprinted in the greatest slim, you know, hardcover Tales of the Batman by Alan Brenner hardcover, which has got just some fabulous stories in it. It also has this one in there and uh, highly recommended. I think that story got Alan Brenner in trouble, if I remember right. <laughs> yeah, probably did. I'm sure it did. Yeah. So what's next? Somebody else, what else you got? Uh, Superman number 64 from 1991 uh, by Dan Jorgens and Butch Geis. And it's Metropolis Mailbag. And in the story here, Superman and Lois are already engaged, and he goes every year uh, around Christmas time to the post office because they any letters that are mailed not to Santa but to Superman are collected by the Metropolis post office. And once a year, he goes through and tries to read as many as he can, and he's just dreading it. I mean, he's just dreading it because there's so many well-nurtured, uh, natured people asking for help, and he can't do anything. Hmm. You know, like one kid asks him to save his dad who's dying of a terminal disease. You know, one lady asks for a new heart. You know, then there's the shysters who want him to like, in, you know, make diamonds for them for some investment. But it's just, it's a touching story. It has a lot of ups and downs emotionally, and it just lands in just the right way. Uh, I, I reread this one too, and I mean, I'm, I'm on a plane reading it. I'm like crying, and I think the people around me thought I was something was wrong. But anyway, <laughs> uh, very heartwarming, very heartwarming. What about you? What's your next one? So this story, I, I think people will know this one too. Is originally it was printed in 1997's DCU Holiday Bash number two. There's a two-page a two-page story. I'll call it a masterpiece, <laughs> totally written and drawn by Ty Templeton. I know one of your favorites. Yep. Where it shows the annual visit Darkseid gets on Christmas Eve every year, despite his trying to stop his landing on Apocalypse. I smile. <laughs> Every time I read this, I I smile. This is reprinted in the awesome trade paperback DC Universe Christmas, which has a, a bunch of those earliest stories in there too. You know, I just I just love this little two pager. It's fantastic. Uh, Chris Franklin uh, and Sydney Franklin did this on one of their shows. Uh, in fact, I did the voice of the Dark Side for him. That's why I remember. So <laughs> it's uh, a great it's, story. It's a great, great story. And when I met Ty Templeton, he made reference to it. Listen, out of the blue, I don't remember what we were talking about, but somehow he worked it into the conversation. And I'm like, oh, I love. You tie, and yeah. you know, I liked those DC holiday bashes. I think there's awesome. some really good stories in there. I have them all, they're all in that box I'm telling you about. They're great. Uh, my next one's a bit of a curveball, uh, it's a Marvel one, uh, mm-hmm. Spider Man Holiday Special 1996. Mm. There is an 11-page story called Merry Christmas, Mr. Storm. Mm-hmm. And uh, some of the credits here, like, I liked this story. I knew I liked this story. But then I, I didn't even know who did it until I was getting ready for this. I'm like, what? It's written by Sholly Fish, the amazing yeah. Sholly Fish, who did all those great Scooby-Doo team-ups and so many great comics. Uh, pencils by Robert Brown and Joshua Wood. And inks by Al Williamson. That Al was a shocker. Frick- yeah. Al freaking Williamson. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, the art, like, throughout the story, there's all, in the margins, there's all these adorable elves, like, like playing in the margins, doing goofy hijinks, almost like a Sergio Aragonas kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, it's super fun. Yeah. And and the gist of the story is, it's in a weird time period for Spider-Man. You just got to go with it. But uh, if you find out that Spider-Man and Human Torch meet on the Statue of Liberty every Christmas Eve. 
and mm-hmm. like just talk and, and say that's hi. That's a throwback. Cool. You know, that's a throwback to Marvel Team Up number one, right? Well, they reference it. They talk mm-hmm. about Marvel Team Up number one. So uh, and I, I didn't realize that's where it came from. But uh, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I've read it, but I didn't remember. So was that referenced in there? Yeah. Well, I don't know if it's referenced in that particular story, but that's that's where they, I think, first met up on the uh, Statue of Liberty. Uh, where they- Ah, okay. And and that story takes place at Christmas time. Got oh perfect. There you go. Okay. So here they're talking about their annual visits and like last they show like last year, Spider-Man was is talking with Johnny, they're kind of confiding in each other, and Spider-Man's look, it's like, look, I you don't even know who I am. You know, all these years you've been a good friend to me, and he like starts to lift his mask up, and Johnny's like, Don't, don't do that. You don't need that kind of burden. I you know, I don't need to risk your family. It's enough to that I know we're friends, you know? Uh and then they fast forward to the present year and Johnny's waiting. And Spider-Man's not showing up. So he, like, sends a big flame in the air with a Spider-Man mask, trying to get Spider-Man's attention. So finally, Spider-Man shows up. But it's the Ben Riley Spider-Man. Mm. And because, you know, he's taken the place. And so they have some conversations, and they kind of realize that they're, you know, they're in the same business together. They make a friendship, and uh, and it goes forward from there. And they, you know, they, they kind of, it's like carrying on the tradition of what Peter used to do, now Ben Riley's doing. And... Again, you gotta love the Clone Saga. I mean, you don't actually have to love the Clone Saga, but it still makes a very nice story. <laughs> Charlie Charlie Fish does a great job with it, you know, and, it, and it's eleven pages in and out, so it just happens to be a, a Christmas story I love. Yeah, that's a good one. I feel bad that mine were all, you know, DC. I mean, I am more of a DC kid. I always have, but you know, I, I have plenty of and have and plenty of read Marvel comics too, and I had most of those Marvel holiday specials. But you know, most I've enjoyed all of them, but most of them I don't feel as memorable to me as you know, at least to me, the ones. Uh, the ones I have, my kids, you know, I, I have a ton of like Disney ones and, you know, Archie, my, my daughter loved Archie comics. There's all these Archie specials, Christmas specials too, when they were younger. So, um, but yeah, none of them hit me the way that the other ones that I mentioned were. Well, uh, this Mar- this Marvel one, like I mentioned this one's 11 page story. Keep in mind, mm-hmm. it's in a big collection of stories that I didn't mention. Because, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's Marvel in the mid 90s. A lot of those stories in there were hit or miss. I mean, I mean, Kevin McGuire had a story in there and so did Mike Manley which is pretty cool. But like, there was no other stories in that collection I could recommend. Um, I will mention one more. Uh, DC Holiday Special number one from 2008. Mm -hmm. They did holiday specials in 2008 and 2009, which were really stinking good. I mean, they were great. In fact, they're on DC uh, Infinite, folks, if you want to read them. But anyway. There's a whole section on DC Infinite now. that that, They they made a nice little curated list of all these comics, which is terrific. Yeah. So this one, uh, there's a six-page story in there called A Day Without Sirens. And what happens is... It's Christmas Day, uh, or maybe it's Christmas Eve. I should know this. I don't remember. Either way, I think it's Christmas Day. And Gordon goes to work, and he's just grumpy because it's it's Christmas, and they, everyone has to work because it's all hands on deck because Christmas is always one of the worst days of the year, and there's always a bunch of calls, and it's always a headache, and just because everyone's you know having a hard time at Christmas time. And the phone at the police station doesn't ring once. So, I mean, he's got all these police standing around. He keeps every hour or so, he's like yelling at him. He's like, get out there and do something. And they're like, there's nothing to do. We literally haven't had a call since midnight. And this goes on. And after, like, by the afternoon, everyone's starting to relax. They're having holiday stuff. They're sort of celebrating together. They're having a really nice day together. The police are, and, and it's kind of touching. I mean, it's all done in six pages. It's real quick in and out. And then. The clock turns, 12.01, and the phone immediately rings with a double homicide. <laughs> and it's like, wow, we had a day that was a gift. The day was a gift. 
And then the final page reveals the secret behind it is that Oracle had routed all of the police phones to her and she was dispatching Supergirl to deal with everything. So and Supergirl <laughs> was exhausted by the end of it. But uh, it's written by Joe Kelly uh, with art by Michelle uh, Bertho Renitz. I can't say that. Renzi. Uh, either way, it was a really nice story. Six pages in uh, DC Holiday Special number one from 2008. I don't remember that one. I'll have to dig that one. I'll have to read that one. That's, that's right up my alley. Yeah, it's a fun little story. And that's it, folks. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. All that stuff. We, I'm so glad you came on, Paul, to talk about well, this. Thank, thank you, you for so having much. me. Yeah, I enjoyed sitting by the fire here in the Brownstone. It was great. <laughs> Roasting our, our nuts by the fire. Yes. Um, <laughs> folks, I would love to hear your thoughts on this issue, JSA number 55, or share some of your favorite Christmas comments, uh, comics in the in the comment section. Go to fireandwaterpodcast.com slash JSA Presents. Uh, of course, you can find us on Facebook at firewaterpodcast.com. On Twitter is JSA Presents or FW Podcast. You can email us at justicesocietypresents at gmail.com. But really, the comment section is the best place because everyone can interact with you there and comment and you know there's threads and we have great conversations so paul why don't you tell the folks on where they can find more of you well the easiest place to find me is on batman family reunion with my co-host and bat podcasting partner sean m myers and uh we uh, we're two-thirds of the way through the whole run which is amazing to me <laughs> that we're right. so far through and we're enjoying we're in the sort of last throes of the branded batman family run of the dollar detective so it's interesting to see how it's uh, how the title's been evolving but we still have a lot of fun and enjoying enjoying uh the uh, you know having guests at the reunion every month so uh, come 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 along over there if, if you haven't listened to the show it feels like you guys just got started i can't believe you're two-thirds <laughs> of the way through and speaking of the reunion and everything and bringing stuff like i kind of expected you to bring eggnog or cookies or something <laughs> paul I, well, sean little... ate it all so you know <laughs> All right. Well, folks, uh, one more thought, thing I mentioned at the top of the show. You know, we will have a lot more JSA content coming on a monthly basis starting next summer. Uh, I'm starting a series within JSA Presents called JSA in the 90s. And I'm going to be covering Justice Society of America, issues 1 through 10. That's the 1992 ongoing series by Len Straczewski and Mike Paraback. Once we wrap up that, we're going to cover the Justice Society of America uh, miniseries, issues 1 through 8 from 1991 by Len Straczewski. Uh, then the art with a, a rotating group of people, uh, Rick Burchett, Grant Meum, and Mike Paraback and Tom Artis. Yes, I know I'm doing those two out of order, publication order. I don't care. It's my show. Uh, <laughs> I just really want to get to the Parabex stuff first. But anyway, so doing the tennis shoe Parabex series, then the miniseries, and then once we're done with that, then we're going to transition into JSA in the 2000s, where we're going to cover Jeff John's JSA series. So, so looking forward to this. It's going to be a great ride. Yeah, Paul, me too. I can't wait to hear that show. Sean, well, Paul's show going to be back for at least one episode, so uh, I promise you that, if not more. But that is going to do it. Uh, again, Paul, thank you so much. I... I couldn't imagine doing this to anyone else, and this was a real blast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's going to do it, folks. And until next time, join the fight for justice. Justice.